Beverly Hills Cop, We Are the World, and Secret Wars, all from the year that Cal Reese came back to save humanity. It's 1984 on this brand new episode of Sidebar Forever. We discuss the music, movies, television, and comics from this most fantastic year. And hey, we're bound to have missed some of your favorites, but drop us a line on our socials on Instagram and Facebook. And now, let's get to the year 1984. So, first of all, Swiss, I want to say uh, Happy New Year. Yeah, really. <laughs> there we go. Let's, let's start off with that. Happy New right, Year, my brother. Right, right. <laughs> and, and, and for the brother uh, in absentia, as we like to say, D, Happy New Year to you happy as New well, year. my good happy, sir. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. All the way around. Now, for the first topic, uh, the first episode of this new year from the show, you know, I thought about you know, let's do 1984. And the reason I say that is, first off, it's obvious. It's 40 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But also, longtime listeners of the show, loyal listeners of the show, would, you know, be very, um, very quick to notice that both Swain and myself have mentioned at various points that 1984 was a magic, well, I don't want to say magical, but it was a very pivotal year for both of us. You know what I'm saying? And we've mm -hmm. said that uh, quite a few times, you know. And when I thought about this as a topic for an episode in this particular year, again, not only is it 40 years ago, but there is so much that came out in 1984. Once you sit back and think about it on a pop culture tip, the mm -hmm. music, the movies, the comic books, just, just you name it, it seemed like right there in 84, boom, you know, it was just happening. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? You know, and, and, and as well as us on an individual, you know, um, and personal tip, too. You know what I'm saying? So I just thought that that would be a fun topic for us to cover, you know, just given 40 years ago and, um, you know, get, get into it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, it, I have often considered for personal reasons and for pop culture reasons, 1984 is the peak year of the 80s. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, it's Absolutely. it's all, it's near the halfway point, like you said. Uh, it that's when the '80s were in full swing. We've had this conversation before, where uh, there are films like we talked about First Blood, which came out in '80, but it felt more like the '70s. Correct. Yeah. You know what I mean? And even from a from a film perspective, you still had some holdover uh, films from the you know films that came out in the '80s that felt like holdovers from the 70s in terms of their sensibilities and their approach to cinema. And by yeah. 1984, we're truly getting into uh, full hair metal with the, you know, with the dudes dressed up looking like, you know, what we would call trans women today <laughs> with, you know, the hair and the makeup the and mascara, the spandex yeah. and mascara and everything. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, in terms of the groups from the Europe, from Europe, were really starting to come to the fore. Mm -hmm. A lot of those English mm -hmm. groups, uh, synths and drum machines, were kind of fully entrenched into '80s pop music at that point. Oh yeah. Um, and then, uh, and, and then, like I said, in terms of film, you know, you do have like uh, the prototypical action movie is really starting to kind of crystallize around that time where it's action over the top action yeah like super over the top action super over the top explosions um yeah. where the music is where popular music is being integrated like the 80s music is being integrated into the films you mm, know what i'm saying mm -hmm. like you know some a lot of films you could you would see you know they're going to be referencing music of the past or music of of the 70s or whatever but this is when we're really starting to see Pointer Sister songs show up in, in movies oh. and, mm -hmm. um, you know, Glenn Fry, The Heat Is On and soundtracks being, you know, being a huge part of what makes the movie work. Like, you know, we'll talk about, you know, films like Footloose and um, Top Gun and things like that. So, yeah, I, I, I think I think it really is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and that's a great point that you mentioned just about the music, you know, 
when I think of 84 and, you know, dating back to my childhood, then I was four years old. And a big part of that was the music, you know, and it seemed like, you know, there are a lot of um, there are a lot of uh, those English bands that were breaking through and finding success in black radio, which is what, you know, my family listened to a lot of the time. Like today it would be kind of mm -hmm. unexpected, but stuff like Wham! Once that was a breakthrough because of George Michael, you know, because he had that mm. kind of R&B kind of crooner's voice, you know. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Human League with I'm Only Human, and that's obviously because of the Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis production. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. you did have a lot of crossover there, and that's one of the things that I remember very clearly about '84 was like how much you know music played a part of that in the backdrop of your everyday. You know, just it was just there, omnipresent. You know what I'm saying? You can almost make a date and time, you know, to, you know, when you hear some of that music. Like, Shaka Khan, I feel for you. Oh, come on. Come yeah, on. yeah, yeah. Takes me back every time. Yeah. I remember, um, so I was probably about 19, 18 or 19, and I mm -hmm. had a part-time job. I had two jobs. So I worked at Kroger. Okay. Uh, as a... Probably at that point, maybe like a what's what was called a courtesy clerk, mm -hmm. uh, which basically bagging groceries and getting buggies and, and doing stuff like that. Uh, right, we right. called it courtesy jerk. That was what we. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I was a courtesy clerk. I was working at Kroger and and I had a part time job working for Diamond Distributors. What you never yeah. told me this? Yeah. What? So there was a Diamond Distributors branch here in Georgia. Uh, mm -hmm. kind of down in like the Force Force Park area, I believe it was. It's a lot. There is a lot of warehousing down there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I got the job because I I met the guy who ran the warehouse. I think his name was Don. Yeah. Uh, I met him through Pat Henry because Pat owned Titans and Titans was being you know they get their comics from Diamond. Right. And so I got the job working there and became friends with him and became friends with Chuck, the other guy that worked in the. Uh, in the warehouse and I remember working there we're packing up comics and stuff and doing our thing and listening to the radio and we're yeah. and, you know we were you know we're all you know we're all from different backgrounds or whatever but we're all singing along to uh Billy Ocean you know uh Caribbean Queen and uh, uh and uh 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 Patrick Swayze she's like the wind you know that uh, was out of 84 Wow. I don't know if it was in 84, but I'm just saying during just this period of time in the 80s, you know, we're listening to all different kinds of music. We're listening to that. Yeah. We're listening to Quiet Riot. We're listening to MJ. We're listening yeah. to Human League, the aforementioned Human League. We're listening to all of this stuff like on like Casey Kasem's Countdown or whatever. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, and, you know, and it was like, okay, wow, damn, you know. Um, so it was really like a potpourri of different styles of music. And there's, there's, some, there's a lot of that that happens today in pop, pop radio. But it was really different then because, like you, I grew up listening to mostly black music. You know, Earth, Wind & Fire and Stevie Wonder. Yeah. And, you know, Bloodstone and all the groups that my mother had. And, and then eventually when I developed my own taste... And start listening to the mm -hmm. radio for you know to hear my own songs, you know I'm you know I'm MTV generation music videos, yeah. you know I'm Duran Duran, I'm I'm into all of it, Wham, you know, uh, yeah, you know uh, Electric Avenue and you know all of that oh, stuff, man. you yeah. know. Mm -hmm. So um so yeah I, I agree man the, the music was was really pivotal and, and for a long time right after that because I lived through it I couldn't really I couldn't really appreciate it because it was like. The music I grew up in as teenage as a teenager. So by the time we got to the nineties, it was kind of like, yeah, yeah. And now, you know, I listen to it with with great affection, and um, and with a great amount of um, um, not remembrance, but um, you know how you just look back and reflect, and you know you remember where you were uh, when these things were happening. So. Um, anyway, Absolutely. this is a long tangent. Um, let's definitely get to the to the topic at hand. So, <laughs> oh yeah, it's all good, man. It's all good. That 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 was a great primer, man. And that's what you know I wanted. You know, as far as this episode, just for us to you know really get into like 1984 in all facets. You know what I'm saying? And the first facet that I wanted to get into was as far as like the films. Okay, 
there's one film, in, well, there's quite a few films in particular, obviously, you know, that celebrate their 40th anniversary this year. But one mm-hmm. of the big ones that's actually getting ready to make a comeback with a brand new installment d- later this year is Beverly Hills Cop. cop when it came out i obviously did not see it first run i was too young i was just four once again and i saw um, i saw it in the theater go ahead (laughs) see there you go exactly exactly and it's one of those things it's like it's eddie murphy at like the height of his powers like i knew enough about eddie murphy even at that young age that i knew who he was just based off of him almost just being him, but I knew he was on a show called Saturday Night Live, but mm-hmm. I was never up that late to watch the show, but I knew right. that he was on it. I knew right. of him, you know what I'm saying? And I knew the laugh. It's like, also in the 80s, <laughs> certain celebrities, yep, you knew that, you knew that telltale son, <laughs> and the Stevie Wonder is him waving back and forth like a cobra while playing the piano. Just these little <laughs> things. <laughs> These little ticks that everyone knows, they know exactly who you're emulating. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, as far as yeah, as far as Beverly Hills Cop though, if if there is a movie with with hyperbole, I say this with complete hyperbole. If there was a movie that was that kind of had a certain magic to it, you know what I'm saying? Like it had mm-hmm. this certain this certain thing to it, this intangibility to it. It would be Beverly Hills Cop, just so full of, you know, um, fun and, you know, energy. You know, young Eddie is just whip crack hot. The rest of the supporting cast, Judge Reinhold, um, John, what was the guy's name? The guy who played the older cop. Anyway, but you also mm-hmm. had <laughs> Cohagen, Ronnie Cox in there. Cohagen, you know Ronnie saying? Cox. <laughs> <laughs> But and then also don't don't forget Steven Burkoff. Steven Burkoff and what was the what was his what was his character in there? Uh, Steven Burkoff. Help me out. Yes. Uh he played the, the rich villain. God, I can't believe oh, I'm blinking uh, on it. Victor Maitland. Victor Maitland. Victor Maitland, yo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had a bump Victor in the middle of his head and just you knew he was evil. You know, he had uh, a bump in the middle of his head. Uh, like, Alicia Albacher, yo. That's right, exactly. And Bronson Pinchot as Serge. Yeah, yeah. John Ashton was the older cop. John Ashton was the older cop. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, that movie, you could not get away from it. You know what I'm saying? I remember, you know, even as a kid, the commercials for it, you know, and it would always play, you know, The Heat Is On, Glenn Fry. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Oh, Mm -hmm. man. Or either that Mm -hmm. or... um, Neutron Dance by the Porter Sisters. I just mm-hmm. those songs have such a drive to them. They're great songs, and they just mm-hmm. drive, drive those sings. You know what I'm saying? And just mm-hmm. oh man. And then of course you know Axel F by Harold Faltermeyer. Just mm-hmm. all of that, all of that. Oh mm-hmm. man, just oh just just so 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 great. And there's one scene in particular that both you and I, I I thought I was the only one who felt this way for years. You know what I'm saying? Speaking of songs and speaking of matching up with the scene, the scene where Axel and the two cops are in the strip club and it's all in red and Nasty Girl by Vanity Six is playing. Man, and then when it hits that one breakdown, when the robbers come in, it actually notices them, and then that breakdown is like so. Try and give me something I can cling to. Catch my drift. That'll work. Yeah. Oh my wow. 
right there. God, that is, oh man, that is so indelible to me. You know what I'm saying? Like that made the scene to me, you know? And just, oh man, there's just so many movies like that that came out in that particular year that just have that resonance to them. You know what I'm saying? And I yeah. thought about it. I don't know if it's because I grew up in that era or because we grew up in that era or if because those movies were just so well made and they had such a verve to them that they're still uh, memorable today. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, I think it's probably more the former than the equally both. But I think the former is definitely true. Having lived through it and kind of mm. come up and, you know, and you can, you're about a decade behind as far as that all of that stuff is concerned. Uh, in terms of, you know, like you're saying, seeing it in theaters and seeing it firsthand. But, right. you know, still, you know, the, the the looming shadow of the 80s was definitely a part of your childhood as much as the, as, as the 90s was. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, music and comics and, and all of that. But, yeah, Beverly Hills Cop. And, you know, and again, like you said, you know, they made three of them. They're getting ready to make uh, release a fourth one at the end of the year with a sixty-something-year-old yeah. Eddie Murphy in it. <laughs> you know, still wearing the same baseball jacket, Detroit baseball jacket, and <laughs> probably still driving that crappy blue Nova. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, and I don't know who requested that. I didn't. You know, I no. certainly didn't. <laughs> I'm gonna say, did you? I mean, because <laughs> no, no, no. It was, it was it was not on my bingo card that we were gonna get a. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop Four. Oh but, man! You know other other movies uh, that came out that year um, that I started thinking about, and then I actually did a little poking around. Yeah. So the Karate Kid, you know, another one where they made multiple multiple movies that year, uh, yeah. multiple movies in the franchise, the Karate Kid, and he even relaunched it with you know with Jaden Smith and with uh, 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 Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan, and then launched Cobra Kai, the TV show on YouTube. Dang, that had completely slipped my mind. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yes, the karate, that was another one that was ubiquitous. Even I knew about mm -hmm. that as a kid. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you got the Karate Kid. You've got Nightmare on Elm Street debuted that of year. Yes. Uh, we talked about in our in the uh, group chat, uh, uh, Ghostbusters came out in 1984. Oh, Didn't we? Dang, we? We did not, but how could I forget that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ghostbusters came out that year. Uh, yeah. and that was huge. That was a oh, huge, yeah. huge movie. Like you're saying, just you, you couldn't turn around and get away from it. The merchandising. Ray uh, Parker Jr. The Ray, Ray Parker, Parker Jr. Song? Jr. Again, with the soundtrack, you know, big yes. song. Uh, people running around, who you going to call? That People still say yep. that today, 40 years later, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, Gremlins came out that year. I saw that in the drive, man. My, my parents took, took me... Yeah. And my sister to the Starlight Drive-In on Moreland Avenue. On Moreland Avenue. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Come on, now. Come on, bro. <laughs> I knew you was going to say that. Sir. Uh, Footloose. Yes. Oh, man. Footloose. And another one, Soundtrack, you know, with the mm, Kenny Loggins. Um, mm -hmm. 16 Candles came out that year. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Police Academy. Um, God, are, you know they, oh, they made man. multiple police academies you know oh yeah um dune <laughs> <laughs> the first the first attempt at an adaptation of dune yeah. <laughs> but here two two the two things that really stood out to me were this is spinal tap came out in 1984 oh it did that i thought it was like a little earlier than that like at the height of like that hair metal you know okay yeah, and that's important because this is Spinal Tap is the first mockumentary. Yeah. You know, of its kind. And really, in many ways, people say it's really the best. It's like the first and the best. I mean, there are mm. certain some great mockumentaries out there, and, and we see mockumentary even moving into television, modern television, you know, with shows where, you know, people are being followed around by cameras and they're breaking the right. fourth wall and all of that. But mm -hmm. this is Spinal Tap is considered the first one and it's kind of the best one, you know, I mean, just nailed everything and kind of set the, the, the template for everything else that followed after it. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And then also, and maybe this could be, this could be a, a, a segue into us talking about music from the, uh, the eighties if you want, but Purple Rain came out in 1984. 
Oh man, are you kidding you know? me? Oh my God, yes. yes. Come yes. on, just, oh man. And that was, <sighs> you know, that was one of the, you know, the the really one of the biggest albums of that year. Yes. Uh, yes. Prince had two, two top 10, maybe number ones uh, with Doves Cry and uh, Let's Go Crazy. Mm. Um, that made him a superstar. Oh, it, oh, it blasted you know, him into the stratosphere and beyond. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it made him a superstar. I mean, he had a lot of success with 1999 and Little Red Corvette. He mm. did cross over and become a more of a, a pop uh, a pop musician as well as uh, an R&B and soul musician, funk musician. But that made him a superstar, you know. Um, and again, you just was everywhere. You couldn't get away from it. You know, uh, I remember standing in line with Michael Daly. At the Rialto Theater to see Purple Rain. Oh, Rialto. Wow. Rialto, sir. And we were all like, everybody was excited and we were talking. The line was down the block. We saw it twice that day. I don't know how we did it, but I think we saw it twice that day. Word? Yeah, we were were that into it. We were that into it. I probably probably saw Purple Rain 15 or 16 times over the course of the next couple of years. You know, oh, as soon as it became awesome. available on VHS and, you know, watched it and then it was, it, you know, I we didn't have cable. We never had cable. Right. Me neither. You know, mm-hmm. we never had cable. So I, you know, I'd go over a friend's house, you know, and, and watch it. But, but yeah, man, that was, those are, those, and those are big movies. And like I said, franchises and movies that have lived on and are, are you know, people are revisiting them to this day. Yeah. You're exactly right. And please do not, we're not going to leave this section without calling out one of the biggest ones, a personal favorite, Terminator. <laughs> oh, yes, the Terminator. Yes, of course. Of course. Can't, can't, don't of forget course. that. Don't forget that. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of, you know, huge movies in the, you know, in the And franchises. Yeah. yeah, and franchises that didn't really need to be franchises, to be honest. You know, it was like, okay, y'all no, can they stop did after not. the exactly. second one. <laughs> yeah, two, you good. You out. You yeah. good. Stop. 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 <laughs> Oh man, but segueing into music, like you said, man, you know, Purple Rain, oh yes, and then of course, if if ubiquitous was in a dictionary, Thriller and Michael Jackson would be sitting right there by the definition. Right. Right. You open up you up the you open up the dictionary back in the day when they were it was an actual book and right. be like there's a picture this is what ubiquitous means you know yeah. <laughs> you know Gosh. Uh, yes. fifty million records sold forty million records sold whatever it was at the time I mean diamond I mean they yeah. had to make a new classification it sold diamond diamond yeah. damn yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and that was and again that's just ten million that's you know this it was it was forty million. I think in its day, like mm-hmm. in its day, it sold 40 million records or something like that. So it, it was crazy. And Michael Jackson won eight Grammys for, for Thriller. Yes. Uh, he went up to the stage eight times. He, he couldn't even carry all of them. Yes. You know how you, they, they have them in their arms like bundles of, yeah. of, of uh, baguettes of French bread, yo? He couldn't <laughs> even carry all of them joints, yo. <laughs> that was so iconic to me as a kid, Joe. Like him cradling all those Grammys. And that was also mm-hmm. the year that he brought uh, Bubbles, Emmanuel Lewis, Webster, and Brooke Shields to the Grammys with him. Yeah, you're right. You're I right. Like, I had forgot damn. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yes, sir. And another thing I mentioned about that too is this was back in the heyday of like, you would only see the, it's not like today where there's social media and you can see celebrities all the time doing whatever. Mm-hmm. No. This was appointment TV. You right. knew the only time you was going to see Michael Jackson live, if you didn't go to one of his concerts, was either at the Grammys or the American Music Awards. And mm-hmm. so we were set. We knew in January, American Music Awards, Michael Jackson going to be on there. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. like we gather around the TV, and I, I sit through two hours or whatever just waiting to see Michael Jackson. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or Prince, for that matter, too. You know, just yeah. any of those big musicians that, that we love, if you weren't able to see them on videos, you know, MTV or anything like that, 
you'd have to wait and see them like once, maybe twice a year live on one of those That's shows. It. You know, on your TV. That's it. Yeah, man. That's it. And it was exciting. So, yes. It was it was electrifying. It really was. It really was. And like you said, it was appointment television. You know, it wasn't like it ran on reruns. There was no nope. YouTube. There was nowhere you could go and see clips of it the next day. You know, if you wanted Mm-mm. to see it, you had you had to watch it. And and actually, for Michael Jackson, the year before when he did Motown Twenty Five, oh, yeah. that was the one that really oh. blew it up. You know, when yes. he did the moonwalk on stage, and you know he played uh, Billy Jean and Billy Jean. Oh my God, yeah. you know, it was like, okay, me? Mike, take me there, Mike, take me there, and you know he did. You know, yes, absolutely. So, so yeah, but on a on a musical front, man. Um, so you had Michael Jackson and Prince. You know, yeah. this is the height of like uh, Madonna. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, a lot of the bands we talked about before. Some of the big songs uh, released that year in 1984. Cindy Lauper's "Girls Just Want to Have Fun." Oh man, uh, yeah. Duran Duran's "The Reflex." Yes. Um, Billy Joel's Uptown Girl, which I will point out, never made it to the top 10, oddly enough. It only made it to number 39 on the charts. Never made it to the top 10. As as big as that song was, Yeah, never never made it past uh, number 39 on on the charts. Dang, okay. Strange. Very, very strange. But some other uh, number one songs from 1984. I'm just going to jump around a bit. Owner of a Lonely Heart by Yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, Karma Chameleon, Culture Club, yeah, Van Halen's Jump, and their album was called 1984. Exactly, yeah. You know, so uh, that they were really you know capitalizing upon it, and they actually you know took a, <laughs> took, took some of their royalty money and bought a synthesizer. So uh, Against All Odds, Phil Collins, number one. Lionel Richie, Hello, number one. Oh, that's another one. Lionel Richie was huge in 84. Yeah. You kidding huge. me? Huge. Shoo. Huge. Yeah, he 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 had a reign that nobody had had seen before where he came off the Commodores and he just crushed it for like years. Uh, for real. Years and years. Um, let's hear it for the boy. Oh, Denise wow. Williams. Yeah. Yes, um, sir. What, Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do With It? Number one in 1984. You know. Prince, we mentioned Let's Go Crazy. Uh, Stevie Wonder's I Just Called to Say I Love You. Yes. It was a big number one song. And um, in your the aforementioned Wham, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go was the number one song Mm -hmm. uh, in in 1984. So. uh, Oh, man. Big, big, big music year, man. Really big music year. And oh, and we talked oh. about this in the group chat. I forget what year. I think Synchronicity came out in 1983. It did, yes. And the police broke up right after the Synchronicity tour. Uh, mm. And I, I have a distinct memory of. I had my first car. It was a 1971 Malibu Chevelle, and I, I picked up Vince from from high school, and I was taking, dropping him off at his house. And I had yeah. my cassette player, and I put in the cassette. I had made a homemade cassette of uh, Synchronicity, and I remember listening to Synchronicity because it was like one of my favorite albums at the time. Uh, and that was probably '83. That was probably okay, eleventh grade. And and the other thing too about 1984, I graduated in 1984. That's why. School. That's why it's. That's why it stands out to you. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yep. But um, it's big graduation, man. I graduated pre-K nursery school in 1984. Oh, thank you, Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, wait a Appreciate you pointing that out, dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, podcast is over, man. I'm out. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, man, and you were talking about music and the reason why that, that graduation, you know, meant so much, not just that I was graduating from pre-K daycare, but for our commencement song, we sang, we are the world. We are the world. We are the children. We are the ones who make a brighter day. So let's start here. We so did. And you can imagine you? how that went. Yes, you can imagine how that went like the couple of weeks for practice before that. So you know everyone wanted the Michael Jackson part. 
everyone wanted to do the Michael Jackson part and the teacher had to be like, no, no, no. We're going to get a girl to sing it so she can have that light voice. Adrian, you are singing the Willie Nelson part. Oh, oh man. <laughs> Look, the one the part I always wanted to sing was the Cindy Lauper part. Well, 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 and it was so cool because not only was it for supposedly a good cause, obviously. You know what I'm saying? And everyone had their own distinct voice. You knew who it was for like that yeah. five or ten seconds they were singing. It's, they, everyone it's, had their... it's the ultimate posse cut. The there ultimate posse yeah. cut. The <laughs> ultimate feature. Because <laughs> <laughs> you knew, okay, Bruce Springsteen is coming in because you know his raspy, husky we voice. Are, we are the children. <laughs> And then your boy Bob Dylan has a choice we're making. Yeah. We're saving our own lives. <laughs> Yo, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, man, just that was the era of, you know, um, fundraising to feed people in Ethiopia, you know? Because mm-hmm. another thing that sadly that was almost you saw all the time around that period where the pictures coming out of Ethiopia and certain other African countries, African nations of like Mm -hmm. starving children and everything, you know what I'm saying? So you had those fundraisers, you know, and so much so that the following year, Marvel and DC both had their respective heroes against hunger comics, you know, where it was the same thing. It was a posse cut of comic book creators coming together. It's, it's, it's funny how that parallels we are the world. You know, yeah. a lot of known creatives coming together in this one setting to do this, to raise money for this cause. And yeah. it spilled over into Live Aid that next year as well. Yeah. You know, so this yeah. was the era of that. You know what I'm saying? Right. That getting that, amassing that star power. Because again, it plays back into what we were just mentioning moments ago. The only time you would see these celebrities is either at a concert or on TV. So yeah. to gather them all in one place, and then not only that, to make a record of it, and I don't mean just a record as in vinyl, I mean like a document like those Hunger Comics, or to record them at Live Aid or something like that. Yeah. That was a big deal. That was a huge deal. You it, know? it really was. It really was. And like you said, like, you know, just to like for for those who are too young to to recall or who weren't mm-hmm. who were too young to have been there or to have seen or experienced it even second or third hand yeah. you know you would go to a concert and they would sell these program booklets with these mm. uh you know special photos and kinds of you know lyrics and and behind the scenes and and all kinds of little keepsake kinds of uh bits of information in them that they would yeah. sell and make big money off of. And part of the reason for that was is because a concert was really a one-time experience. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm, I mean, unless you were bootlegging it like rerun on, on what's happening, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You went to the show, you saw the concert, yeah. and then you went home and, you, and it's just whatever you have is locked in your memory, that's it. That's all you got. Yeah. So they would sell yeah. these books that you could take home <laughs> as a keepsake. And my sister has tons of those that she still has to this day. You wow. know, cause she was a big music fan very early on as a teenager and as a younger, younger person. But, awesome. um, but that was the, the way for you to kind of hold on to the memory of that experience. Now, you know, you can go on YouTube, on the internet and see anything. You can go to somebody's mm-hmm. Instagram and see clips of them perform. I mean, it's just, there's just an abundance of that stuff that's, that's, uh, that's available to you, uh. And it just wasn't that way years and years ago. So the, mm-hmm. like you're saying, the, um. The exclusivity of it and the and the scarcity of being able to get your hands. Oh, you could see it in like uh, also too in like gossip magazines and stuff like you know, Us Weekly and you know People Magazine. You could see celebrities there, but that's kind of it. You know, that was kind of it. Yeah, right on magazine, right on magazine. Black beat, <laughs> Black beat, Seventeen, Tiger Beat. You yep. know, all of Tiger all the Beat. Beats. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Exactly, man. So, so yeah, you're 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 exactly right, man. Um, 
I wanted to ask you as far as comics are concerned. Yeah. Um, actually, before we before we go to comics. Okay. Some TV shows that debuted in the eighties, in the nineteen oh, eighty, yeah. and, and in specifically nineteen eighty four. Yeah. The Cosby Show. Of course, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. now that has not aged well, but. <laughs> <laughs> po Bill, oh. But uh, the Cosby Show, man, fuck that motherfucker. Uh, the Cosby <laughs> Show. <laughs> Miami Vice debuted in 1984. It sure did, that's right. Yep. Hey. Oh, um, and Jeopardy, the game show, debuted in 1984 and has been on television for 40 years. Dang, I did not realize it started in 84. For some reason, I thought it started just a little bit later than that. Okay. Yep. Wow. Yep. Yep. Cool. Jeopardy started uh, first uh, broadcast in 1984 and it's been on ever since. Still oh, going, good. still going strong. So. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, let's let's talk about comics, man. I, I know you want to talk about comics, and that's you know that's oh, what most sure. you know what people a lot of people uh, definitely want to hear about. So um, you mentioned in the group chat, mm. Secret Wars being published in 1984. Secret Wars. Marvel supervillains are coming. Secret Wars. Can the Marvel superheroes stop them? Marvel supervillains and superheroes figures, each sold separately. Here, Doctor Doom and the Doom Platoon, Magneto, Doctor Octopus. There, Captain America and the Champions of Freedom, Spider-Man and Wolverine. Secret Wars, the secret's out. Doctor Doom and Spider-Man, the Marvel Secret Wars collection. Other figures, each sold separately. From Mattel. Yes, and in fact, the reason why I can put a time and date to that is uh, for, for one reason. Um, now, I will mention at this time, I did not, at that age, I did not know anything about comics, nothing, except for a few characters because I'd seen by that time in syndication, every once in a while they would play like the Captain America Reb Brown movies, those TV movies. <laughs> You mean the one with, uh, with, the, with, the, with the motorcycle helmet for the wind? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the, and, and then the shield was his windshield? Yes. <laughs> that was a fly idea that they came, with, that they came up with. <laughs> That's Functionality aside, that was a fly idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So it's like I kind of knew tangentially who Captain America was, and that was about it. But the reason I can put a time and date to it um, and this goes back to my um, my nurture school um, pre-K. That summer, uh, we had summer camp at that daycare. And there was a, um, I didn't know at the time what to, I didn't know that there was a term for it, but we had a, um, a mentally challenged kid that was in the camp with us named Levi. And I noticed that he acted a little different, you know, than every, than all of us, you know what I'm saying? But we still played nonetheless, you know? Um, but he would bring in his lunchbox. And this is another thing that's going to date probably both of us. He brought in a metal lunchbox, a metal lunchbox. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it had Marvel superheroes, secret wars on it. And it was such a cool looking lunchbox. Again, I did not know who the characters were on it. I just know that it looked cool. So cool. The logo is right there. And as I recall, the illustration on the side of it, on the front of it, was Doctor Doom in like this orange bricked, like dungeon type situation, facing off against the heroes, whoever whoever was on that side, you know, on the other side of the illustration. And I just remember Levi would bring that in every day with his lunch, you know. And I was like, wow, oh man, I would love to have that lunch box, man. Right. But you know, my mom, she was doing a Paper bag special, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yo. You, know go. <laughs> you know what time it is. Look, so you gonna like, get that dang. peanut butter and jelly sandwich cut in half. That's you right. You gonna get a small a small bag, maybe some chips or a zip a sandwich bag with some chips or some Fritos or something in it. You That's might like get a piece. You gonna get a piece of fruit. You might get a piece yep. of fruit like an apple or banana, uh, orange mm -hmm. or orange. And my mother was my so my mother would always buy the like the generic stuff, right? Yeah, you know how Chris Rock has that joke where it's like you know they would have the generic 
uh, cookies and it would just say cookie on it. <laughs> like, <laughs> word yeah so but you know but i might get like a like a, a little debbie's or something in there but it's definitely it's in the paper bag i didn't have a lunch bag i don't have a lunch box exactly me neither not until like yeah. a couple years later yeah man yeah. yeah yeah so so yeah so that's how i that's how i remember uh secret wars but now of course years later becoming a comics fan and looking at those various books that came from 84 secret wars was a big deal it was big a deal, big yeah. deal. Yeah. yeah, man. It's like one of the first like maxi series, if you will. 12 mm-hmm. issues. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, and apparently according to according to accounts, man, it wore Mike Zeck out. Like Mike Zeck started strong. That first cover for Secret Wars, whew, classic. 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 That, that that classic Mike Zeck musculature and just everybody charging at the camera. Beautiful. And then you just start seeing, mm-mm, like issue by issue. <laughs> Dang, come on, Mike. Come hey, on, man. Mike. Hey, come man. on, bro. That, oh, that, oh, that's what you're doing now? <laughs> Everybody ain't George Perez, yo. You know what I'm saying? All those characters, yo, it's like, uh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. His, his eyes are too big for his stomach. Yeah, yo. But eventually they ended up, um, he ended up trading off with uh, Bob Layton on um, art duties, you know, mm-hmm. uh, on the covers as well as some of the interiors. And the reason they say that, you know, Zach got worn out, Zach has said that it was just Jim Shooter micromanaging because he really wanted this this um, particular project to be such a big success. And do you know how they came up with uh, Secret Wars as the title? No. How they came up with Secret Wars as a title, they had a focus group of like some little little boys, okay? And they gave them like a list of words and what came back was it's the most popular was the boys responded most to the words secret and war. Thus, Secret Wars. You That's know what I'm how they did it? That's how they did it. Like on some and focus I, group shit? Mm-hmm. But but you got you got to imagine you know this is the time of GI Joe and Transformers like the height of um, like boys toys you know what I'm saying that demographic mm-hmm. so they were aiming squarely for that and speaking of comics as well also along those same lines like the competitor to Secret Wars was from DC was Superpowers Jack Kirby he drew those issues he drew that series over there I hate to say it Joe. <laughs> <laughs> this is that this is that Kirby where he's like being inked by D. Bruce Barry and Greg Theakston. It's not even Mike Royer no more. It's like, ah, come on. Ah. <laughs> but Superpowers to his credit, as kind of like the competitor to Marvel Secret Wars, was just as popular. Um it had action figures that came out just like Secret Wars did. It had a comic hmm. series come out just like Secret Wars did. Um, lunch boxes. I do remember Superpowers lunch boxes. You know, just like Secret Wars did. You know, so it's like they were going neck and neck. You know, Marvel and DC on having that kind of maxi series, if you will. You know, but to me, I think Secret Wars was the more successful of the two. You know, it's definitely the one that endured um, yeah. and that really resonated with uh, comic fans and. Is obviously referenced, you know, uh, you know, again and again, and and the, aren't they supposed to be doing a Secret Wars Marvel MCU supposed to be doing a Secret Wars movie or something? They are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although maybe that maybe that may, may not maybe that won't happen based on the uh, lack of success <laughs> with uh, Secret Invasion. But anyway, one of the interesting things that came out of Secret Wars was that was the first time we see Spider Man's new black costume. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, you're right, exactly. So mm-hmm. that kind of begins like that, and that kind of begins, you know, other Spider-Men that are actually, you know, and other looks that are incorporated into the uh, uh, Spider-Man lore. You know, Venom comes along after that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was definitely it. A um, couple other things, because got, you got me thinking when you mentioned Secret Wars in the group chat. Yeah. Um, this was the beginning of Mohawk Storm era. Yeah, you know the early '80s Mohawk Storm era was. I just call her Storm. I I just prefer her with the Mohawk at all times. You know. 
Exactly. Mohawk uh, Storm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it reminds me of the uh, the lead singer of uh, Bow Wow Wow. Remember them? I Want Candy. Oh yeah, he had the wild hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a female lead singer. She had a, she had a mohawk. Oh my bad. You know, I was thinking about Kaja Google. My bad. <laughs> well, yeah. You're getting your '80s mohawks mixed up, but very easy to do. Something else in 1984. Mm-hmm. A relatively unknown British writer named Alan Moore takes over Swamp Thing at issue number 20. There you go. And becomes mm-hmm. one of the goats. Yo, one of the goats. Hey man, he ain't one of the goats. He's the goat. The goat, yo. <laughs> the goat. Yeah. Um, this was the era of uh, a lot of comic book conventions are starting to pop up. Creation Con and... Yeah, uh, Fan- Atlanta Fantasy Fair, and uh, there was a con in Portland. Anyway, mm. 1984 was the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, mm-hmm. pub- yes. published by Mirage. Yes, uh, premieres at a convention in uh, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Oh, that's right, because uh, that's their home turf. Yeah, that's their home. That's their home. Yeah, home base. The uh, the Eastman and uh, and Laird. So uh, yeah, and then. Uh, Mr. X. Remember Mr. X? Jaime oh, and, uh, yeah. and Mario Hernandez. That was first published in, uh, by Vortex in, in 84. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just remember, I never read a Mr. X comics, comic, but I always loved the covers because they were so... Stylish. Stylish and, and yeah, and like, and yeah. it was such a distinct image. I don't know what it is about a bald dude with round glasses. You know, you got Savannah, you got Mr. X, you know, there's something about a bald dude with round glasses. That, uh, and you know, and you know what's interesting, man, is that you know I think Mr. X was created by um, Dean Motter and um, Ken Stacy, um, and it was through Vortex Comics. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I hate to say it like this, the reason why we remember Mr. X is because about six issues into his creation, um, the Hernandez brothers took over, in particular Jaime Hernandez. And it's well, just that's, like that's what it was, Mr. X number one by those guys. Yeah, yeah, that was that's yeah. what it was. It's, yeah. Once um, they took over, I, I didn't see it firsthand, but reading that and collecting all things Hernandez brothers thereafter, once I got into comics and got mm-hmm. into them, I look at those things. They're so stylish. Like, yeah, Jaime Hernandez yeah. just took that character and was just like, wow, yeah, that's yeah. how it's supposed to look. You yeah. didn't, he didn't create it, but that's how it's supposed to look. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like like weird sci-fi noir in some in yes. a, in, a, in, in, a, in a in a kind of a way, but mm-hmm. um, also like in terms of some well, also I guess one other thing too that stood out to me, and I had to look it up to to make sure I was correct. Mm-hmm. Superman four hundred comes out in nineteen eighty four. It did mm-hmm. with that Howard Chaykin painted cover. Oh yeah. Man. Man, yo, with with uh with uh Jarrell and uh and uh uh in in, and, uh, in the in the corner. What was this what was uh Superman's mother's name? Laura. Laura L. Laura L. Laura Jorel yeah, and Laura L in the in the cover and Superman and you mm-hmm. got the city behind it and it's and it's a painted cover and it's painted in the style that Shaken was painting those um those book covers, those paperback book covers uh yes. back in the day. It's painted in that style. And then if you flip the comic over as well, you get the full painting without the logo or any text treatment just by itself. You know what I'm saying? So you got it on the front and the back cover, you know? And again, we were talking earlier about the posse cut. That was a posse cut of creators, you know, on that anniversary issue. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, too, like, uh, it's kind of some negatives as well. 1984 like was the year that Pacific Comics went into liquidation. Oh, and didn't they didn't they publish the Rocketeer? They published Rocketeer. They published John Sable. Was that Pacific? Who that published was first? That was first. That was first. That was first. 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 That was first. Yeah. yeah. So I think yeah, you may be right about uh about that. But yeah, they went to liquidation, and then also too. What If was canceled in 1984 by Marvel with issue number 47. Mm. So, and I was a big fan of What If, but, you know. And and they tried at the end, man. If you, re, if you, yeah. pro- you probably recall, yeah. 
Like, mm-hmm. they was trying to go all out with, like, the topics of them, but those Bill Sienkiewicz covers were fire near the end of that series. What yeah. if Conan existing in modern day, him with the 357 mm-hmm. Magnum, uh, mm-hmm. that cap cover with him melting, the ice melting. Like, great covers, man, before, before it was canceled. Yeah, it really was. And he's... Uh... I mean, it's it's one of those things, and even though they're trying to, you know, they're trying trying to bring it back with the, uh, you know, with the uh, these animated ver- the animated uh, what ifs now, it's yeah, it's not the same thing. Um, mm-mm, mm-mm. But I do I do like some of that stuff. Some some of the ones I've seen were actually fairly entertaining. But yeah. um, but I do I I I just remember being a big fan of those, and and I just was a fan of the fact that they was those stories were so dark. You know, they could really go dark, you know. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, you know, there would be consequences, the consequences and repercussions for what you've done. So, <laughs> messing with somebody else's cone bread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Mm-hmm. And um, one other thing, too, that I, I, I did pick up, and I went to, actually just went, I found this on, uh, uh, on Wikipedia, but okay. 1984, Charles Schultz's Peanuts, entered the Guinness Book of World Records as the most widespread comic on Earth, appearing in 2,600 newspapers. So technically, it's not a comic. It's a comic strip. Right, right. But it was the most widely published and the most widely distributed comic strip of all time. And this I is at believe a, that. Yeah. And this is at a time where people read newspapers and went to the you know newspapers to get the news and the weather and to find out what movies were being released. Mm-hmm. And um, sorry, my watch picked up, uh, <laughs> um, you know, all of that stuff. But yeah. um, did you have any more? Uh, any any more as far as like comics or? Oh, just uh, just examples of things that you wanted to, you wanted to bring up. Uh, yes, I did. Before before we close, man, you cannot forget about one that the height, the apex of one of the biggest trends of the early eighties. That is breakdancing. And in particular, there were two movies. I mean, this is the, the dawn of breakdancing oh, yeah. hip hop. Oh, yeah. Yes. And they met at the Nexus. And these two movies, well, actually three movies, if you will. One of, them tried to, <laughs> one of them tried to be a franchise. And, and, and to this day, I still adore all three of them. I can't front. Of course, the first one, the first series is uh, the Breaking series. Like, like it's important. But it is. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Which one had yeah. uh, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme in it? That's Breaking One. That's okay. Breaking One, okay. yo. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> yo, but, but, but yo, check it, check it, check it. Breaking One, to me, is the... <laughs> if, if you could say it, it was it was the the, 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 the harder one of the two. That mm-hmm. your boogaloo was just more like more musical and bright colors and stuff. But for the real gritty, gritty, at least when I was a kid, I was like, oh, man, I got to get that break in one. You know what I'm saying? That's really in touch with the street, you know? And uh, just, yeah, Ozone and Turbo and then Kelly, Special K. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, my goodness. Those are, the, those are the joints right there. And then, of course, you know, as with, you know, everything, there's always a competitor, just like Marvel and DC with Secret Wars and Superpowers. Thus, there was a competitor to these breaking movies. And that competitor was Beat Street. (laughs) That came out in 1984. Beat Street Breakdown! And that was more from like the East Coast, New York perspective. You know what I'm saying? So it's like breaking took place on the West Coast in L.A. and then Beat Street took place in, you know, New York. And in the twain with the two, it kind of encapsulated. It made like a nice time capsule, time time capsule of that year of where, you know, breakdance was and even like, you know, starting to um, get the fledglings of hip hop, 
you know, going on. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Ice-T was in Breaking 1 and Breaking 2. You know what I'm saying? And same thing with uh, Beat Street. There were several acts that were in Beat Street before they made it big. You know, the system was in Beat Street for like about 10 seconds. You know? The two guys? And, uh, the group? The two guys? That, yep, exactly. Exactly. And you know, for the longest time, I'd seen that movie for years. I loved that movie. And I was watching it with my daughters like a few years ago because I got them into it. And they love those movies, especially Beat Street. And we were watching it one day. And at the end credits, I noticed the, as the credits roll, it, it showed a picture of those two guys dancing, um, singing and everything. And it said the system. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? You mean to tell me that was the system? Get out of here. What? You're <laughs> talking about uh, Don't Disturb This Groove system? That's right, exactly. Okay. And, and you are in my system. System. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. that's the jam right there. But yeah. yes, those two guys, yo. And I was like, what? And it was, it did, as soon as I saw that, it was like, yes, of course it's them. Then I recognized the voice and I was like, okay, yeah, it is them. It is them. But yeah, yeah Breakdance about 84 was at its apex because thereafter, I mean, immediately thereafter after 84 it just dropped off it dropped off from the mainstream because also in 84 you have the um, 1984 olympics and in the opening ceremony there was break dance they were break dancing in front of ronald reagan <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure he was did they, totally did they pass it like, to him yo did they do the wave and pass it to him <laughs> Well, I don't that, mind if I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But they, they were so, we keep using this word, ubiquitous. Um, the actors who played Ozone and Turbo, they made several appearances that year in other things. Like, yeah, they were in yeah. the Shaka Khan, I Feel For You video yeah. with uh, Melly Mel, who yeah. was also in Beat Street. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Shabadoo they, was I, one of them, right? Shabadoo? That's right. Mm -hmm. Shabadoo and Michael Boogaloo Shrimp Chambers was yeah. Turbo. Yeah. And um, they were in that video. And they were also in, um, I, I just saw recently, I'd never seen this before, Jerry Lewis, you know, his annual telethon, Jerry's Kids. Yeah. They came out and made an appearance on that with him. And, um, and could you what? arrange to let me keep the change for my kids? <laughs> that, was the, that was the little theme song, yo. <laughs> Jerry's kids. Jerry's oh, kids, yo. <laughs> but yeah, man, breakdance. And down here in the A, I'll, I'll, I'll close this section with this. You know, down here in Atlanta... You know, you were talking about the Rialto, and my mom took me and my young sister there, you know, to see quite a few movies. And we were so young, we didn't quite understand what we were seeing, but just that we were at the Rialto. I remember that much. So you would go downtown, right? And you would see kids with their cardboard boxes on the, yeah. on the sidewalk doing these yep. moves. Like, you couldn't get away from it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It really was everywhere. So, yeah. so Beach Street and Breaking, yo, you said one was East Coast, basically, and one was West Coast. That's right. Mm -hmm. where, where was Crush Groove? Where was that? Oh, that was in 85. Okay. That was in 85. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. And, and, and Crush just, Groove took place in New York. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I just remember Sheila in, and I was like, why is Sheila in this movie? You know? <laughs> non act itself. <laughs> non act itself. Yeah. Play for the 10 real. Bottles, girl. Um, <laughs> Holly Rock, Holly. I, I'll leave. I'll leave you with this, and I don't know if you're, if you're, if you've seen it before. I'm sure you have over the years, but okay. The, uh, do you remember the clip of the 1984 Super Bowl? No. What? 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 So, what 1984 Super Bowl. Uh, the cameras like cut to black, mm -hmm. and they start playing this, this, this. You know, this dark, foreboding. Uh, ominous music and yeah. then they run they start showing you these kinds of uh uh like uh dystopian uh images yeah and then they announce uh that this is the uh they announced the uh, the new 1984 Apple Macintosh computer 
Oh, wow. Now, is that the thing that I think Ridley Scott directed that? Uh, yes, I believe you're right. Oh, wow. I believe you're okay. right. You know, I've, yeah. all these years, and I've never seen that commercial at yeah. all in its entirety. Yeah, never. it's 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 very Orwellian. And I, I, I yeah. now that you mention it, I'm almost positive, yeah, it was Ridley Scott. Because it looks mm-hmm. like Alien. It looks like... Blade uh, Runner. It, it looks like all of those things. Yeah. Uh, like it, like it, it was way better done than it had a right to be, you know, for what it was. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that debuted. It was one, one of the commercials uh, during the uh, the 1984 Super Bowl. I think it might have been the Raiders, and I forget who else was playing Raiders and somebody else. Raiders, probably Raiders, and it was Raiders and Redskins. That's who it was. And maybe it was okay, Raiders and Redskins. But yeah, uh, so the Apple Apple Macintosh computer uh, debuted uh, 1984. Now I want to see that. When we get off the mic, I'm going to go look that up. Because, yeah. yeah, thanks yeah. for reminding me. I've, never, I've only heard about it, but I've never, ever seen that commercial or any part of it. I just know the fact it was directed by Ridley Scott. That's yeah. awesome. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. yeah. That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever. Hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.